Good morning, I'm Peggy, and I'm reading from John 13, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning. Peggy was trying to hand me the mic there. Got my own. B-Y-O-M. Um, I don't know. Um... Hey, good morning. It's uh, great to be with you all. I'm a little bit loopy, maybe. Um, I've been holding down the fort all weekend, just me and the kids. Joel, right? I see you. We're in this together. And James. James is here. Did James make it here this morning? Um, he made, even made my family dinner yesterday, so um, that was big. Um, but yeah, our wives are at a, uh, a retreat together, and uh, it just helps us be all the more thankful, right? For them and um, uh, well, I don't know if I said my name yet. My name's Dave. Um, I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and uh, it's just good to be here with you all and to be walking through our series that we've been in for uh, the last number of weeks. Love walked among us, where we look and see the person and work of Jesus, and how that informs and shapes our lives, and then from there um, compels us to live. Um, the life of Christ that he's called us into. And so before we get into our time in, in John chapter 13 that we'll be in this morning, um, go ahead and turn there with me. And if you don't have a copy of God's word, I would love for you to be able to follow along in the scriptures and not just take my word for it. So would you go ahead and hold your hand up and keep it up and somebody will get you one. Okay, we want to make sure you have a copy of God's word um, in your hands. Y en español, si quiere la... Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene ningún Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en el libro de Juan, capítulo 13. So, um, again, this is our gift to you. Okay, We want to make sure you have a copy of, of God's Word that you own. So if you don't have one, please keep this. And as we get into it together um, this morning, I do want to make you aware of a couple things before we get into the, the, the word this morning, is Good Friday and Easter are coming up. And we're really excited about that. Um, Good Friday is April 19th, and then Easter is on um, Sunday, uh, April 21st. And um, if y'all grew up in the neighborhood I grew up in, you know what comes in between those two, right? But, um, all right, 420, no one? All right. Um, <laughs> but, praise God, um, Good Friday and Easter prevails, and that, that shapes us, and, and that is the good news that we live in light of. I don't know where that came from. Um, 
but hey, a couple things, though, I want you to be aware of on these, okay? Um, so Good Friday is our service of shadows that we observe every year. And, and it's been said that every Sunday is Easter Sunday, okay? If you don't know why the, why the church, the Christian church, celebrates um, on Sunday, while in the Hebrew tradition, right, Sabbath is from sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday, um, we do because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, and that changes every, everything. So if that's all you get this morning, that's okay, all right? You now hear and know that that's why we, we gather for worship, and when we say all of life is all for Jesus, it's because he rose from the dead, amen? And that every year, we, we focus in with the church globally and historically on, on Easter, and so Good Friday is a reminder for us of the, of the impact, the consequence, the reality of sin. And so we have a, a unique service that is, that is intense and, um, and, 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 it's, and it helps us to shape us and to sit in, uh, again, the, the, the darkness of sin and what it meant that Jesus had to die on the cross. That while he chose to, that was the only way for there to be hope. And that really sets the stage for then Easter Sunday. So a couple of details that I want to make sure that you are aware of is that, as you see, it's at 7 p.m., and we will have two classes for kids to be in. And this is kind of newer over the last couple of years. Early on, those early, early ones with us, right, it was like bring your kids in, and they might have nightmares, but you can, that can help you, right, <laughs> disciple them and stuff. Well, that's still true, but, um, but, but, but that is for, um, for infants and toddlers, okay? We'll have two um, places for kids to go. So, so those two, um, and then anyone beyond that age, we would encourage you, and I just, hear from me, I would encourage you, this is a discipleship opportunity, okay? That's what it means to, to, to raise your kids up in the way they should go, to help them understand what it means to follow Jesus. Use this time, right? Let them draw what they're experiencing or if they have questions or enter in to that. And our children's ministry will have some things available for kids. And then similarly on Easter Sunday, um, we have uh, those same two classes available for um, up through or into kindergarten. So basically infant, where's Rachel Harkey? I just want to make sure I'm not over-promising under living here. Is she in here? Um, but yes, that is um, what, we're, what we're doing is, again, two classes um, are uh, available for kids up to kindergarten, but then beyond that age, we, we just ask and encourage you to, to have your kids in here. It's a shorter service. It's celebratory. There's special music and all that. One last detail, and you can see why I don't do a, a lot of the announcements, right? You can't take the preaching out of the preacher. Um, I'll t actually, though, Torrance was preaching during the announcements. I was, it's good, man. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, thank you for actually a couple things. I was like, man, that's, that actually really fits the sermon that we're in this morning. But anyway, a couple of details is Easter morning, for the first time ever, we're having two services. And because um, last year we were bursting at the seams and we, um, we want to have two services so people can come and hear the good news of Jesus and can celebrate and participate in that. And we don't want to have to, you know, say there's no room at the end, right? Um, we want there to be room here. I know that's Christmas, but um, so those are nine o'clock and a 
11 o'clock. And we're going to have a lot of fun things involved as we always do. There will be you know, a, a photo booth area for you and your family. And then there will be little Easter goodie uh, baskets for your kids. And then again, the, some things to help them enter in and engage in the service during the service that they can do. And um, we're not doing like an Easter egg hunt this year. Um, just because of for sake of um, a lot of kind of logistics and things like that, like the punk parking lot just doesn't make sense. But there will still be some, some snacks and some refreshments and just an incredible time. So I want to encourage you again to invite your family and friends. Right From the very beginning when we started as a church, we said, you know, I know given our age demographic, a lot of people go home for Easter, and this is an opportunity, especially if you have family that doesn't maybe have their own traditions of really celebrating the, the life, death, and re- resurrection of Jesus, invite them to come be a part of it with you. And since we began, that's been the case every year, so I want to encourage that to keep going. Amen? All right. So we're, let me pray for us. And um, as I said, we're in John 13, and we're looking at another reality of the person of Jesus, right? Like the flesh and blood. Who is Jesus? What are his mannerisms? What's his character? What's his posture? We tend to know a lot about Jesus, and sometimes church can be like a class where we learn more about him, but don't really see him and know him. And so this morning, as we get into... Again, John chapter 13, and we look at Jesus, love walked among us, God incarnate, God con carne, with flesh on. Okay, in in our presence, we see that he's humble, and his humility is powerful. His humility is absolutely necessary for us to have life, and then his humility defines what our lives are to look like as we place our trust in him and follow him. So with that, let's go together in prayer. Again, Heavenly Father, I I pray for us this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus sent when he rose from the dead and then ascended to the right hand of God the Father, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would humble us this morning. And as we learn about humility, as we talk about humility, as we talk about your character and what it means to be your people, God, I pray that our posture would be shaped by you descending upon us and leading us to hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to submit ourselves to your instruction. Lord, that you would, you would give us the, the, the trust in you to recognize the areas where we are still walking in sin and brokenness. Lord, where we need to be healed, where we need to be convicted, where we need to be encouraged. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we heard read there in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, some of you might know this story or this, this what's going on here. It's when Jesus um, leads his disciples, his followers, through what we know now as the Last Supper. They didn't know it as that at the time, okay? They just knew this as the Passover Supper, a Jewish tradition that was done every year to remember God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt and then bringing them into his promised land. And they would, they would remember this, 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 this redemption, this, this freeing from slavery and, and then shaping as his people. And now Jesus, before they even fully understand it, he's taken them through this meal and he's, he's using that to show them who he is. 
And verse 3 is, is a key verse to this whole passage there, right, where it says, I'll, I'll pick up in verse 2 there, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So just quick, and we'll hit this on the end. We're not going to get into Judas a ton in this time, but, but what John is doing, the author here, is First of all, he's captivated by this, this, this picture of Jesus' powerful humility. And, and yet what, what he does is he, is he mentions Judas a few times is that there's this stark contrast between Judas and then what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Okay, Judas uses Jesus and continues to walk in pride, and yet true followers of Jesus um, are, 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 are humble and they understand that, that what it means to follow Christ in humility and dependence. And so that's why Judas is mentioned here. And it's again to, to set apart a true follower of Jesus and a false follower of Jesus. And that said, picking up in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand. How many things? All things into his hand that he had come from God and was going back to God. Jesus has a power that you and I can't even begin to fathom. Okay, like just pause for a moment, sit in this place and, and remember or just think about what are things that make you in awe. It could be the Grand Canyon, it could be the beautiful sunsets. What are things that make you feel small? All right, hold your jokes to yourself about me right now, okay? I'm talking about you. No, okay, what kind of things make you feel small? Right, whatever it might be that you just, um, for me, I grew up um, for the, a good chunk of my life in San Diego. I spent a lot of time out in the ocean, loved the ocean, um, would just be out there. And there's not a time in my entire life I can remember that I've ever been in the ocean and not been keenly aware of my smallness and specifically compared to a great white shark that could very well be lingering anywhere around me. Okay, anyone else with me? Every time I'm in the ocean, I love it, and yet I'm terrified. Now, again, Jesus created great white sharks. We're told in, in Isaiah that, that, that he holds the depths of the seas in the palm of his hand. Right? I can barely hold enough water to satisfy my thirst in the palm of my hand. He holds the depths of the oceans in the palm of his hand. He is powerful. And that shapes what we understand that he's about to do, okay? He is humble as he takes on this posture of serving his followers, right? He, as we read earlier, right, that he poured water into a basin, verse 5, and began to wash the disciples' feet. I don't know about you. I'm not really a feet person, um, kind of grossed me out a bit, and um, specifically in this day when all that was going on in the streets, you know, I was just in Nigeria, and there people just go to the bathroom on, you know, wherever, like wherever you, you wanted to be, specifically men, and that definitely went on in this time of day as well, and so feet, you're usually wearing open-toed shoes, you're walking that. Jesus gets down and washes that. He created great white sharks, he washes nasty, stinky feet. Okay, it, the two can't be separated. His power and his willingness to be humble. All right, when you think of humble, what do you think of? It's usually not powerful. It's usually not strength, right? It's normally not like if you're watching any of the March 
madness or anything like that, and you're seeing huge guys like Zion Williams doing these incredible dunks, almost bringing down the rim every time. Yes, I feel small when I watch that, and I just think power, right? If, if you were told, give me a picture of humility, I'm not saying anything about Zion Williams or anything, I'm just showing power, you don't think of things like that, right? Things that make you celebrate strength. We don't associate with power, but, in, but the scriptures do, specifically, hear me, in the person of Jesus. When you look at Jesus, and, and then he's, he's defined as being meek, and then in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the meek, right, for they shall inherit the earth, right? Meek rhymes with what? Weak, right? We think that. We think Jesus is weak, and if we're honest, a lot of pictures, a lot of what comes into our mind, we think about Jesus, it's weak, it's kind of, he like has a super soft voice and he's just kind of, you know, blonde hair, sort of a hippie, and which is just a ridiculous picture of Jesus. But again, it's just not true. It's not biblical. Meek means like when Jesus hung on the cross and he withheld his power to completely annihilate those who put him there. Or when he stood before Pontius Pilate who said, don't you know, Jesus, how much power I have? Why are you, why are you talking to me like this? I'm confused. Don't you know that I hold your life in the palm of my hand? And Jesus is like, silly Pilate. Don't you know that I could call angels right now who are not little chubby babies wearing diapers with wings on that you would want to cuddle with? You would mess yourself if you saw these angels right now. You would be so terrified. I could call like thousands of them right now, okay? That's meekness, is withholding power. That's Jesus in his humility. And what does he do with that? Look at me in Philippians chapter 3. And I told you to hit a Bible, okay? I was a little off my game. I didn't, so these aren't up on the screen here. So if you want to be following along next time, maybe you'll, remember, you'll take my word. Raise your hand. Okay, in Philippians 3, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who is this Christ Jesus? What does his powerful humility look like? Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross and his entire life as the author of the book that we're kind of walking through in this time, Paul Miller talks about, is the shape of Jesus' life and death is like shaped like a J. Okay, if you could picture with me the letter J, he's constantly descending. His glory, his resurrection is preceded by descent, by death. Okay, he, having all things, being in the very form of God, right, creating everything, the heavens and the earth, all power, right, holds the oceans in his hands, all these things, and yet what does he do? He humbles himself, and in every interaction we see that, that he has all this power, and he uses it to glorify the Father and to serve his people constantly. He descends, and then in that, he is glorified. And ultimately, that takes place as he descends even to the point of death, even death on a shameful, pathetic cross, hanging completely naked, seemingly completely vulnerably, so that all who put their faith in him can now participate with him in his glorious resurrection, whose identity can now be shaped with him, and that the life of those who follow him 
is one of continual dissent and humility, and then from there, through there, in that, participation in his glory. And yet, guys, if we're honest with ourselves right now, humility is offensive to us. It's not natural. It's not what we want to do. Okay, sin, as we often talk about, right, that God created us, that our identity and our purpose would be in him, that all things would be shaped by who we are in him, but we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each one to his own way, again, as Isaiah says, and so a result of that is we want to do it our way. We want to look at ourselves. We want to focus on ourselves. We want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We don't want anybody's help, and that shows up in one of our favorite characters, Peter, who's really easy to relate with. So now pick up with me in verse 6. So he, being Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered to him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I don't wash you, if you don't let me use my power to humbly serve you and do for you what you could never do for yourself, you don't get to participate in my glory. You don't get to be called my own. And thankfully, what does Peter say? Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Right? He just goes like, all right, then do it. I want to participate with you. I want to be yours. Okay, Jesus had to leave him or lead him to this point of humility. Okay, in this moment right now, I don't know what you confessed during the time of confession. I don't know every one of us in our posture before God, but my, te- my, my, my gut, if you're anything like me, is that, is that you, you, you tend to, to maybe justify, maybe use language like, I need you to, to clean me up a bit, to help me out a little bit, to kind of get me over the hump. But this, but this place of humble desperation and recognizing, thank God, I need you. I'm dirty. Every thought I've ever had is just completely laid bare before you. This one um, musician talked about what would it be like, and let's just say in this week, all right, we don't have to get crazy and say your whole life. What if this week, every thought, every word, every action, every interaction was displayed on the phone, five o'clock news, all right? What if all you got the all church email that said, hey, guess what? This thing happened. Um, Dave's whole week, thought, word, action, everything is about to be displayed on the news. How many of you would sign in, you know, would be like, I want to see that, or your husband, right? Or, 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 or whoever it is, right? Or that coworker that you really don't like, or again, just flip it on yourself, y- yourself. How would you feel? Would you be excited for your parents to tune into that? All of that is laid bare before God. This idea that we just need a little bit of sprinkling, a little, little bit of touching up. No, Jesus blows that up and says, listen, you need me to serve you. You need me to wash you. Okay, so Jesus' power and his humility not only reveals us about who he is, it also reveals what we so desperately need from him. And again, in this moment here, Peter is struck with that, and he recognizes, God, I, I, yeah, wash me. Jesus, wash me, cleanse me. 
do it all. And, and I pray, church, in this moment, even as I was preparing for this sermon, as I was thinking about it, I pray this for myself, for my kids. I pray this for every one of us this morning. And I trust that God will humble us. Okay, sometimes when we exchange prayer requests for each other, it's always that this difficult time would go, go away. And sometimes that's, that's how we pray. We're not afraid to ask for those things. But sometimes in God's wisdom and his radical pursuing love for you, he wants to reveal to you your desperate need to be washed. And then from there, his incredible provision for you. So sometimes... He'll do whatever it mean, we need. He'll take us out to the woodshed of life okay, to reveal our need for him. And I pray that even in this moment, as we look at his word, we would realize and recognize our desperate need for him. So that as we think about humility, it's not just, ah, I want to try to tweak my character to be a little bit better. We would look at humility and understand first that God who has all power humbled himself so that I can be made clean. And then that what it means to now be humble, to walk in humility, would, would flow from that. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, probably no one in this room would just say, yeah, I don't think I have any sins, right? Probably no one would just hold their hand up and say that. However, as we go on through our lives, how much do we interact with others in such a way that we, we have this kind of distorted economy of cleanliness where we look down on others and, and we build our, uh, ourselves up by comparing ourselves to others. And we, and, or again, we kind of church things up and we say, yeah, I, I had this, I had some, some thoughts, I did this, I, I, I did that. I, I kinda, and we kind of do it in such a way that, that really functionally, practically is essentially saying, I don't really have sin. I don't really need God to enter in and do what I could never do for myself. Have you confessed your sins? Not just this morning in this time of confession. Do you walk in a posture of understanding your desperate need for Jesus to clean you? For his, his, his use of his power in humbling himself to again do for you what you could never do for yourself. And then do you walk in that posture? Do you recognize your need to be clean? Okay, my prayer is that this morning, in our time of response, perhaps even right now, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, you would understand right now your desperate need for him. I pray that you don't just walk out if you're feeling a little bit better about yourself. I got some church. Right, I just, I, now I'm a little bit better. I did my time of confession. I did my, my religious ritual. No, that you would understand your and my desperate need for God to intervene, to wash you clean, to do what you could never do for yourself. For every one of us, if, for those of us who have called on the name of Jesus, who have prayed a prayer, who have transferred our trust from self to, to Christ, that we would be reminded this morning of not just then, right? Not just the A to Z, but the, but the or the A, B, C, sorry. Not just the beginning, but the whole life 
write that all of life is defined by our desperate need and God's incredible generous provision. Amen? And then lastly, this shows up in a life of humility. Okay, let's read these five verses here, in, beginning in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Again, reminding them of his power. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In a sense, saying, you are my servants, you are my messengers, lest you forget and now think you're greater than me, that's not the case. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying. I'm sending you to be my messenger. I'm the master. You're the servant. So if I did this, now you do this too. And then in verse 17, this is what he says. If you know these things, okay, if you know them in such a way that it transforms your life, that it informs how you relate with others, then blessed are you if you do them. Blessed. If you guys remember a long time ago, and you might not, and that's okay, we walked through the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, which is, which is the word for blessing, and that blessed, and when Jesus says, right, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, for they sh- there's the kingdom of heaven, or they shall in- and blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and blessed are those who mourn. He goes on and says, blessed are those who this, blessed are those. Blessed is the good life. Blessed is the way life ought to be. In this moment, what he's saying, he's saying your life is right when you are walking and living in humility. When Jesus' humility is, is the engine, is the work that was done to give you life through faith in him, his humility now transforms you and he is not only the, the engine, his humility not only gives you life, but now he's also the example. He's not just the example. Okay, hear me on that, right? We often say this. It's not WWJD, just try to be more like Jesus, right? No, Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself so that you and I can now walk the life of Christ. Christ living and dwelling through us. Okay, so humility is, the, is, is what it means to be truly human, is to live with this humility and this humble posture. And again, we need to recognize that that is not the economy of our day that we tend to walk with. In the world around us, right, you gotta gotta keep up with the Joneses, you gotta climb the corporate ladder, it's a dog-eat-dog world, right, I'm gonna get my own, I gotta gotta get mine now, I I gotta step on other people sometimes to get up here, it's shrewd, it's wisdom, it's good business practice, right, we have all this stuff, and we don't recognize how polluted our waters are, and hear me now, how, how less human we are by operating in a world of selfish pride, and yet Jesus looks strange But again, being fully God and fully man is actually more human. And he restores us to true humanity when we live a life of laying down our rights for others. 
Um, the late uh, Pastor Tom Schrader, some of you guys know or have heard of us, he essentially planted Redemption Church. Um, he planted East Valley Bible Church um, over 25 years ago, and then he led through the formation of Redemption Church, one church in multiple congregations. And he passed away about a month and a half ago. And one thing that he said and lived and embodied this idea of servant leadership. He said, everyone loves the idea of a servant until they are treated like one. And then similarly, he said, everybody likes talking about servant leadership. In this moment, he's talking about pastors, all right? He's talking about church culture. He says, everybody loves to talk about servant leadership, but nobody really does it. And that's just true, right? Think about whatever sphere of influence you have as a parent, as an older sibling, all right? High school, junior high, kids in here as a, as a cool kid, right, or a smart kid, or an athletic kid, right, whatever, whatever element of privilege and power and influence you have, what would it look like for that to be used to, like Christ, not consider that something to be grasped, not consider that something to cling to, but instead given up freely, descending, whoever those are that in that context are below you, Using your power, your influence to humbly come under and to serve for God's glory and the good of others. What would it look like if that was your life? All right, kind of as, as we begin to close here, I, wanna, I want us to acknowledge one thing too. Because when I first got into church planting and this kind of church church culture, it was a lot of times you'd say, hey, you gotta, you, are you, um, you want to plant a church? You want to be a pastor? Well, are you above moving around the chairs? And be like, no, I'll do that. I'll go move some chairs, right? And you'd move chairs. You'd, you'd, you know, sweep up or do whatever it was. But subtly implied in that is that's the means to the end, right? You want to be top dog? Well, you got to do your grunt work first, and then you got to, and then eventually you'll be there, right? Even our, for our older demographics who are closer to retirement or in retirement, is, is, the, is the way of life not presented as such a way? Work hard now so you can one day not have to, right? So do the grunt work now so one day you can kick back and just be served. That's not the life of Jesus, Amen. He constantly lived his life to die. Every small interaction and then ultimately the whole point of his life was to continually give himself up, ultimately on the cross. And the life he's called in, us into is not, hey, do this now so one day you can be at the top. It's the closer you are to the top culturally, relationally, the more you have to continually descend. If you're the CEO, if you're the business owner, if you're the parent, if you're the head of the house, if you're the lead pastor, if you're, if you're the, the one with influence or popularity or fame, then the, the closer to Christ you are, the more you descend. Right? As we talked about before when we were walking through Ephesians, he doesn't bring the hammer as much to slaves and women and children because societally in their structure there, they were closer to Christ. They had less power, less influence, less privilege. So they were already closer to walking 
and the character and the person and the life of Christ. But those with greater power and influence, he says, you need to die. He says, you need to give everything up. Okay, you need to put yourself last. You need to descend even further. So very, very practically here, before we pray and respond, a couple things. Um, First of all, who am I talking to right now? You. Okay, what tends to happen in sermons like this, sadly, is those of us, and I'm going to put myself in this category, those of us who need to hear it, we don't hear it for ourselves. We think of everyone else who should be hearing this, right? Oh, man, I wish my husband were here right now. Man, I wish my boss could hear this. Man, I wish my RC waiter, who I have all, I wish they were here. I hope they're hearing this. I'm looking at them right now. Are they hearing this right now? And we don't think it's for us. On the flip side, though, as often happens, people that are already in places of humility, who are already feeling beaten down by the sins that you've chosen to commit and the sins that have been committed against you, you just feel further pushed down. And my hope and my prayer again is that in this time right now, those of us who need to be humbled, who need to be knocked for high horse, right, who need to be rocked a bit, that we would be. And then those of us who are already in this place because of, of what's happened to us, what we've done, what we've chosen, we sit and walk with our heads hung low. We would understand, no, 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 Jesus already made himself low. So now you can lift your head up. Okay, this isn't meant to beat you down even more. This is meant to pick you up, not in your own doing, not in your own righteousness, not in your own accolades, but no, as you have died the death of Christ, don't continue to live that way. Okay, but now also raise up with him. Walk with your head held high. Okay, walk with humble boldness, not because of who you are and what you've done, but because who he is and who he, he says you are. Amen? Okay, I, I pray that that would be the effect among us this morning, that those who need to be humbled would be humbled, that those who need to be um, raised up in humble boldness, humble confidence, humble assurance of grace would be. So let's just walk through a couple really practical things here right now. What does this look like? I'm just going to walk through some things. First of all, it's not a quick fix. Oh, cool, I just heard the, I just heard the sermon on humility. I just read this short little book on humility. Now I'm good. I got it. No, it's not. In my experience, as I continue to experience this, it's, it's a continual lifelong lesson, often in things that you don't recognize. Okay, like what does it look like for you? Just like enter into this in real life right now for a moment. Wait, it's things like this. How do you feel when someone else gets the credit that you deserve? What does it look like when you are overlooked or misunderstood, right? Someone, someone assumes a motive or an agenda that's not yours. It's in those kinds of moments that the Holy Spirit is shaping and forming you into the humility of Christ. Was he not misunderstood? Was he not uh, overlooked? He deserved all glory and worship, and yet he hung on a cross and was scorned. He brings you and me into the life of Christ in those kinds of seemingly small, mundane moments. It's also not about the fruit, it's about the tree. Okay, now hear this. You can't fake it for long. Jesus talks about this again in the Sermon on the Mount. 
you can't focus on the fruit, but the fruit will eventually be revealed. Okay, what do I mean, mean by that, right? You and I could go out and staple some apples on a cactus, right? And it might look, that's amazing right now. Look at all those apples. I didn't know that was possible. Look at all those things, right? Eventually, the sun's going to hit them in like three minutes here in a couple months, right? It'll just, those things will wither and you'll be like, okay, that's not legit. That's not real, all right? What that tells you is not just, oh, that fruit's bad. No, okay, that's not, that, that, that tree is not the right kind of tree, all right? So in, in walking in humility, it's like a quiet relationship with Christ. The mornings, the afternoons, the drives, the evenings, the time spent with the Lord where he's shaping and reshaping your character, that will be revealed in the fruit of your life. When you snap at your coworker, when you gossip about other people when they're not there, when you look down your nose at other people, things like that, that stuff will be revealing what's actually going on in your heart. So come before him like Peter eventually. Lord, I need you to change me. I need you to do a work in my, in my core that I can't do on my own. And Lord, I see this fruit and it's not congruent with who I say you are and who I long to be in my heart. And, and then over time, again, he produces that right fruit. One other, just another thing, it's often not so black and white. All right, it's, it's, not always, it's, it's not always just like, oh, I was humble then and I was pr- proud then. Sometimes it's all jumbled in like a bowl of spaghetti, right? Like there can be moments where you're humbly like, uh, just for myself, I'll use this application illustration. It could be like in preaching, right? Oh God, this is great, this is great. I thank you that you're working through me. I have a speech impediment and yet you're at work right now. Thank you for that. And yet, oh man, I just got some... I just got a tweet about this thing, or oh, it looks like that person's tracking. Cool, thank you. And it's this whole, and it's sometimes, and just in those moments, again, the gospel produces a freedom to even sometimes simultaneously confess the sin and the brokenness and thank Him for the goodness. God, thank you for this goodness. Continue to weed out, continue to scrape out the things that, that don't fit there. And then the things that are there, let me recognize those as simply being a gift from you that I didn't produce on my own. Another one, false humility is just false. All right? So hopefully you don't hear and we don't walk away from this with just try to be more humble. Because sometimes it's just really awkward. Some of us were actually talking about this, about preaching. If you guys know, like a couple other people have been preaching more and more and did a great job, by the way, um, over the last couple months. And, and they were just talking, hey, how do, you, how do you navigate when someone gives you an encouragement? And Charles Spurgeon famously said when he was encouraged, he would say, um, oh, thank you, the devil already beat you to it, right? If someone said, hey, that was a great sermon, and he would be like, the devil already beat you to it. It's like, man, nah, that was mean. Um, okay, that, I don't know, that was a long time ago, and England, you know, it's from England and all stuff, so maybe that's it. But, um, you know, honestly, like, if someone gives you a compliment and encouragement, what does it look like for you to be thankful for God's provision through that person, but not necessarily crave it and need it? When it's false humility, it's more like, oh, no, 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 stop, no, 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 stop, right? Holding up a stop sign with one hand and just give me more, give me more. Like, that's really what's going on, right? Just what does it look like to actually be like, well, thank you, praise God. One, one last one that comes to mind is just how you relate with other people, how you view other people. 
What, what came to mind for me as I prepared this sermon is one of, if you're like me in this place where you're one of or the only Christians in your family, your family of origin, it can be really easy to just get frustrated and judgmental and to think, man, what a loser. What a, what a sinner. Right? To be like the tax collector and the Pharisee, if you know that story, where the Pharisee is just saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that person. What, what would it look like instead to, to have the, the, the view of understanding you're just a trophy of God's grace? Again, he's done what you could never do for yourself, and he's, he's put you as a, like a light on a hill or a light in a dark room in your family. And what would it look like for your family or just others in society? Again, coworkers, schoolmates, classmates, whatever it might be. Hopefully, as we look at the person and work and the humility and the power of Jesus, it would roll off our tongues of saying, if not for the grace of God, that would be me. Okay, that leads you and me to a life of humble gratitude and understanding Jesus' powerful humility, doing for you and I what we could never do for ourselves, and then from there, living lives for God's glory and others' good and our joy, where we live not to be served, but to serve. Let's pray together. Again, ultimately, Jesus, we can even read about, talk about, sing about, think about humility, because while we are yet prideful and sinful, you have chosen to humble yourself and to take on human flesh, to enter into our mess and our brokenness, and then to take on ultimate humility by dying, even death on a cross. Lord, I pray that would inform our worship and shape our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.